0: Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSE and the host of the CSE podcast show. I've got another great episode today in my security leader interview series. I've got Michael Schroeder, the founder and CEO and director of OT, FRCS, and ICS security at Three Territory Solutions. Michael is a father and a husband. He is an entrepreneur. He's an engineer, project manager. He is a traveler, and he is on the side a race car driver. So, Michael, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Derek. Really great to be here.
0: I should have mentioned also, you've been a, a chapter a board member in the Washington D.C. chapter in in the early years there, so thank you for that as well. You've been an active uh, member of the community for some time now, and we, you know, that always is also nice to uh, be able to have people on the show that have seen some of the growth and continuity as far as how this organization's taken off.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. You know those. You know how it goes. Those early years when you'd walk into a room and mention just ICS security or cybersecurity, and people would kind of scratch their head and be like, I don't even know what you're, like, from a subject perspective talking about to, you know, what is that? That had to be, what, probably 2016, 2017 to four, five, six years later. And all of a sudden it's, I mean, at least within our industry, it's common knowledge and we're looking for those detail levels. So that maturation has been awesome to see and been good working with you too.
0: Yeah. But it's like you say there there were and are still in some pockets, this scratching of the head, like, what are you talking about? Is it the same as... No, it's not the same. <laughs> it's, it's yep. So let's, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into what you're doing today, but let's go back a little bit. I always like to ask, you know, a little bit about people's backstory, so to speak. You know, cyber security people are superheroes of a sort, I think. So
1: where, you know, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? So I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. You know, nice little town, western side of PA, not Philadelphia side. I mean, some people know where it is, but other people are like, oh, is that near Philadelphia? I'm like, no, it's another city and it's the same state. But you know, I guess it'd be kind of like a Cleveland and Columbus sort of thing. Right. Uh,
0: right. Yeah. Not a suburb of each other. Uh, no, it is not. It is a, not. There's an air gap. A true air gap between them. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I'm from like real specific. And if anyone's pulling this, like Franklin Park, which is like the township inside the North Hills suburb of okay. Pittsburgh. But what? Yeah. You know, I know what you mean. So, and you're uh, you're still in you're still in that area today. I am. Uh, so I. Was uh, born and raised here. Went to college at Penn State. Ended up doing about a 12 to 15 year stint in the Washington D.C. metro area. And then a few years ago, you know, we were in a great life position to kind of pick up and move. So we schlepped the whole family back to Pittsburgh. You know, just kept getting people closer. My family's still here, obviously. My wife's family is from Michigan, so it saves drive time when they would come from Michigan to D.C. It's like a nine-hour drive. Yeah. Now it's like four. So you know, just life lined up well a couple years ago to kind of do a big relocation. That wasn't. It was my choice, not by chance.
0: Yeah, awesome. I love it. So, what did you study at Penn State? Mechanical
1: engineering. What yeah, was your old school stuff?
0: Yeah. What was your vision then of what you were gonna do?
1: I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. You know, because you. I knew I needed to go to college. Wanted to. Needed to. We can debate that. Was I was 18 years old, 17, I guess, applying. But yeah, I've always liked taking things apart, understanding how things work. So I was naturally drawn to the overall discipline of engineering. And then once I got there, it was sort of like, well, E's electrical engineers are the only people, I quickly come to find this, they can get a 28% raw score on a test, and it's still a B plus. So I was like, whoa, that sounds like a lot of math. I don't know. I mean, I'm good at math. I like math. But, I mean, that's a lot of math. And that's like math where they make things up like imaginary numbers and... They have they they just yeah so it's a lot yeah and then the mechanical engineering was kind of the one that just kind of I was drawn to and decided to uh, give it a try and you know never look back.
0: Any intersection of of technology and computers and things
1: yet in your Other life? Than personal interest, you know. I occasionally I'd like computers. Uh, you know, I have the typical story of back in I think sixth grade or so. I created a video game on the TI 82 calculator that all the kids would play and stuff like that. So. I kind of did that, but not on purpose. You know, yeah. I didn't go to it. And Penn State has an IST program, information science technology or something like that, where it's sort of a, you know, like, let's get straight in technology. But I I didn't really know anything about it. And it wasn't really my thing. So kind of stayed away from it. Not on purpose, though.
0: Just. Well, what? So what did you do first after you graduated from Penn State?
1: Oh, I mean, I followed a girl, of course. I mean, I said, isn't that what everybody does? <laughs> you don't. Know, you're know, well, going drive there's your life. Path.
0: There's three paths. That is definitely one of the, it's like, yeah, I, one of these three things. That was it right there.
1: So, <laughs> so the girl I was dating at the time had been together for quite a while. She graduated six months ahead of me. I needed an additional six months because I'm a slow study sometimes. Uh, so, I graduated, she graduated in June or July or where, or May or whenever it was. And I graduated in December. So, she got a job down in the DC area. And I was like, well, that's a good enough place as any. So, when I graduated, I started, or when she graduated and had a place, I uh, started applying to jobs and, you know, followed her and the job down here or to D.C. And
0: was that uh, CS Consulting Engineers? It was. Yeah.
1: So that's um, HVAC Design Engineering. So architecture and engineering firm. And honestly, when I picked it, I had, no I did not care. I wanted a job that gave me a check. That was it. I mean, honestly, that was like my, the my, my That I mean, that was a okay. great right? <laughs> Pay me and make it in the Washington, D.C. area and I'm yours. That's, I, I, yeah, I mean, I probably would have even taken a non-paid job at that time. You know, you're like 20 years old, 22 years old, and you're, you're well, I'm sorry, I shouldn't go in on it talk about age and stuff like that. But, you know, yeah, so there were not a lot of requirements, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. But that actually, so that that's one clue is to, you know, you, I know today you're heavily involved in the building controls. You, so HVAC systems, that's how far back your introduction to that stuff goes right away.
1: Yeah, but overall, my career kind of had a natural maturation. You know, I didn't, the, the jump from engineering and like HVAC and working and construction and stuff like that to cybersecurity was, I, would, I don't want to say forced, but it was a deliberate conscious decision. But really up till that point, which is that's in 2015 or so, all the rest of my career has just been, hey, there's a cool opportunity to do this thing over here. Would you, you want to try it? And my, you know, my boss had asked me, I'd be like, of course. And I'd try it and be like, well, that was sucky. So I wouldn't do that anymore. And then I'd do something else and be like, oh, that wasn't sucky. So I want to do more of that. And it sort of moved from your traditional AE, uh, architecture and engineering, yep. doing design work on paper to construction and then into the operations and maintenance and then finally into cybersecurity.
0: Yeah. So when did cybersecurity uh,
1: sort of intersect? With that, well, Perfect. I mean, two days after I met Doctor Chipley, of course, you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah,
0: yes, I suppose there are quite a few people they can trace their origin story to a crossing paths with uh, with Michael Chipley. Yeah, Doctor Chipley factors in there a lot of places. Uh, so, did you you knew him going way back then, back uh, at some of your early stuff? Uh,
1: yeah, we had a job that we were doing where we had to do some. Um, we're doing an inventory project for all of the Navy. And there were some concerns that I had brought up. I'm like, hey, we're aggregating a whole lot of like an entire enterprise. And we're looking at some systems that if the wrong person would learn about, like the existence of these, you could start doing that kind of not counterintelligence, but that intelligence element of it of like, I know that there's a submarine something or other going on here. And a lot of that information is commonly could be commonly known the aggregation of all of it, we had a lot of laboratory work with like RID uh, research for infectious diseases and ICD chemical defense and stuff. There was a concern about what are we doing with all this aggregated information? So I found, I got connected to Mike Chipley through somebody and he kind of knew or was in that sort of playing in that space. And I approached him saying, Hey, we got to, can you help us understand how we should be handling this and what should we be doing? And then the snowball just started from there with, all the DOD mandates and all of this stuff and seeing this huge pie that people are just starting to look at and becoming to understand it.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned him. Uh, Michael was just uh, just on the show uh, recently. He's uh, episode 58, I think, four or five episodes ago. A great guy all around. So uh, what were the next uh, p- positions uh, or, or sort of companies and roles then? Yeah, After CS Consulting, what were the next couple of things?
1: Uh, so I jumped. So I did. I'm going to back off something I said a little. I said that it was a lot of happenstance. There was some deliberate movement in there. So CS Consulting Engineers was very, very small. Um, six total people. I was like the fourth employee. And my oh, wow. old boss, Chuck, he was like, you know, he was very happy with the size of the company. He, he had his airplane. He had his Corvette. And I sat down after working there for about a year and a half or two years. And I'm like, hey, Chuck, what's going on? Like, is this? is this it? Are you planning to grow? Like, and we had a nice conversation and you know, he, he was very front with me and said, this is it for me. And you know, you're, he didn't use the word, but I was basically a wicket in his overall scheme. And there wasn't a lot of room for upward growth or additional stuff. And that's not what I wanted that early. So I then took a job and very amiable. I was like, Hey, you know, Chuck, I'd kind of like to grow and see some other things. He's like, absolutely. I ended up getting picked up by a small company that had huge growth potential in the sense they've won a bunch of government contracts and they were coming back looking to hire folks. So that was NECA. Uh, at that time, it was called Nika Technologies. I think I was like their sixth or seventh overall employee. The company had been around for about 10 years, but they were getting, I mean, they, were, they already had it awarded and they needed to the blow up. So I got brought in as part of that explosion, if you will, of growth and very quickly established myself as a project manager and one of the kind of business unit leader sort of deal. Did that for a couple of years, I think maybe four or five years or so. And I had done the small business thing for a while and I was looking for something different. So my next position was at HDR, which is a very large architecture and engineering firm. And I wanted to see how do these giant companies work, multi-billion dollars, and seeing how financial modeling was done, how business strategy was developed, just to touch it and feel it and understand it couple years there. And then actually Nika had some other stuff coming on and I got a call from the CEO and owner and he was like, Hey, you think I can poach you back? Cause you know, we'd really like to have you back in here. So I said, sure. i been back to Nika and then I think I did maybe two years there and then jumped to do my own company. Yeah. So I think
0: there's something to touch on there. You um, mentioned sort of leaving CS consulting and the way you did that uh, being very amicable. And then you leave Nika and you go back to it. Clearly, there's something there about how you conducted, you know, how how you manage your relationships, how you sort of left those places. You know, I think for some people that might be, they may not realize that that's possible. You know, I, in my own experience, I know there's uh, people who've left some of my companies and I've always said, just do it with glass and the door is always going to be open for future relationships. If, if you're great, it's not indentured servitude and you want to do something else, man, the more you communicate about it earlier, but I think people distrust that. And clearly there'd be some cultures where the moment you... moment you show you are interested somewhere else, somebody might be very negative to you. But if you're in a trusting culture, the more, you know, talk about how you communicated those things. It obviously worked well.
1: It's interesting. So you say that and kind of looking back, that is how it worked. But I think I have been fired from or was about to be fired from every single job I've ever had in my entire life. And I mean that kind of seriously, like I'm, I'm trying to think of a job that I've had Where my termination was either inevitable or forced upon me. You know, like CSA, so that was, or not CSA, I'm sorry, uh, CS Consulting Engineers, I didn't get fired, but at the same time, I kind of knew, because I was starting to get bored. This is really what spurred that conversation to go talk to Chuck. So I'm like, what am I doing with this? And I know if I would have stuck around for another year or two, just the way I am, those idle hands and that boredom would have definitely gotten me fired. You know, at NECA, I really was trying to, grow. I was very aggressively growing the business units and some stuff like that. And along with that growth, we had layering of management that was coming in. And I, I you and I know each other a little bit. I can have a, a very opinionated at times. Uh, I speak kind of frankly, and I don't play well in a sandbox, so to speak, which is why my short, at, uh, my stint at a large company was so short, because I realized You can't work at a large company and just throw your elbows out and do everything that you possibly can, wherever you can to just help the best you can, because you're going to ultimately step on other people's toes. And you step on enough people's toes, you're going to step on somebody that can punch you back pretty hard. And, you know, that sets kind of down a negative path. But I do think what you say is very important about being able to leave with I don't want to say grace in class, but not not two middle fingers swinging as you do donuts in the parking lot on the way out kind of deal. Like you yeah. know, leaving with uh, with professionalism, I think, yeah. is part of it. So all those jobs, if I was quit, if I was about to be fired or was being fired, there was never any curse words. There was never throwing anything. There was never any big emotional things. It's like thank you very for, very much for your time and this opportunity. You have my number. Please let me know if there's anything else he, I can help with. And you know we separated ways. I think there's just a lot to be said for that. And that may seem
0: uh, obvious to some people, but it's not, in my experience, obvious to everyone uh, that mm-hmm. they can leave well. And man, oh man, in our security industry, we don't have enough people by an order of magnitude. So keep all doors open. I mean, especially yeah. if you if you don't have any professional disagreement with anybody, you're not angry for any particular reason, keep all the doors open you possibly can. I'm amazed at how many people circle back to and are back with, even in these interviews, there's been a pattern of, oh, yeah, I'm working together again with Jim or Sally. We did 10 years ago, and now we are again. There's a lot of that in
1: the industry. Oh, totally. And, you know, you know how it goes. I mean, doing good work, focusing on your job, being professional, you know, that's an expectation. If you're going to be and cause problems or overly, and I don't want to say overly emotional, like a negative sense, but if anytime somebody comes and says, hey, uh, Derek, you know, that yellow shirt you have on um, is causing, I don't know, edit this out. I I was about to go down a weird, weird thing. <laughs> well, this whole question. You want to pick on the yellow shirt. I can tell you do. But I don't know. I don't want to pick on I like the yellow shirt. I don't know why it's stuck in my mind though. I saw the trees and I started thinking of bees. And I'm like, what am I talking about?
0: <laughs> well, I got the idea for the yellow shirt from a guy who was wearing a pink shirt. In fact, he's a great speaker and, and sort of MC of events and he wears these all pink outfits. And I met him. 15 years ago, when uh, my wife was speaking at a conference he was speaking at, and he's like, yeah, yeah you have a distinctive color, people remember it. So yeah, it's interesting, the yellow shirt is now my thing. So let's talk about, let's jump to the, you know, to the the obvious thing you started, you know, you had some big company experience, you obviously had some small company experience, and you decided to start your own. And I think that's a really valuable thing for us to talk a little bit about is, not just what are you doing today, and what excites you about it, but that gestation, you know, the leap. Because that's something people talk about, and, and in our community, uh, and, and as an entrepreneur for for, for you know twenty five years, I've met lots of people in corporate positions like I have got an idea, or I would like to, but there's perception of risk. There's there's all sorts of reasons that people don't make that leap, but sometimes but do want to or fantasize about doing it. So, what was your process? What led to it? And what is th- and, and what is three territory solutions? It wasn't aiming to.
1: All right, I'll, I'll hit the name first. So I like. I like riddles and I like little things. So uh, or like little brain teasers kind of. So the company name is founded off, or I came up with it over, you know, have you ever heard of the board game Risk?
0: Oh yeah, I played but a like lot of things. So said allies, it's uh it's Bigger Brother. I played that for some years too.
1: There you go. So I was on the internet or doing something, and I came across some guy or girl did a research paper, they're like doctorate research paper on some larger tangential subject. But the the math that they were using around it was around the board game of risk. And there is a moment that when you occupy three specific territories, the first one to occupy three specific territories on a risk board has, that is the first mathematical time when you have a more likely chance to win the game versus your opponents than not. (laughs) So it's kind of a play on words of like, you know, the three territory solutions being those are the three territories. We're trying to find that first available moment where you can tilt odds in your favor ever so slightly to whatever whatever that favor of yours is. So oh, it's super it. nuanced, it's super nerdy, but whatever.
0: I, I I love it. I love it. That's awesome. You have to email what those three are in case I find myself. No, absolutely not. My, no. children, my children, no. my children I'm up my up play that game. I'm gonna want to dominate, you know.
1: <laughs> I think you can probably figure it out. If you look at the board and just kind of step back, it's one of those things. If you know there's three territories and you look at it and yeah. you see with how continents come together and how yeah. you can own a continent, but you can have a single gateway while yeah. still keeping somebody else from owning a continent. It's pretty easy to figure out. But I can't give you the I'll, I, I will. I can't give you all of it. You got to yeah. You got out. All right. all right. So, OK, then. So to the bigger question,
0: then the genesis uh, of 3 t
1: why not? I mean, if there's so many different elements, especially now that I've been doing it for a couple of years and I look back on it and the yeah. nuance around the decision, but really it comes down to why not? Just like you were saying, you know, I, I was sitting there in corporate world. I had was, you know, all the meetings, all the importance, the hand waving, all of that kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there one day thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing all of this? Like, why do I, there's a lot of good that comes with that but there's also some not so good things that come with the corporate world. And I'm thinking, why, why not? Why not just take the lead? You know, I, at the time I had been saving up a little bit and I kind of knew what I wanted to do financially. I'd been working for a while to just through the general business development type thing. I'd kind of identified a particular project that I think I could launch on and you know, that risk and that worry and everything that's certainly there, but I kind of tried to, You know, the things that kind of you feel it here in your chest. When I would feel one of those, I'd be like, "Okay, what can I do about it? Well, I I can't just quit my job because I have to pay my bills. So that means I need money on the other side. So maybe if I just have a project, even if it's small, something that can pay the bills for three months kind of deal or six months or whatever it is. So, you know, I kind of worked out the financials, those hurdles first. And then my wife is amazing. She's kind of always knew that I needed to be more of a free spirit. So when I kind of brought this up to her in probably 20, I'd always been thinking about, but 2014 is really when I started kind of thinking and doing things with it. She really was the one that kind of gave me the boot in the ass and said, all right, you've been talking about this. Everything you're looking for is lined up. Like, go. And just kind of kicked me in the butt and said, it's time to do it. And I did. And it's, you know, I haven't really looked back since. Yeah, thinking like you know, with advice or well, do you got a do you want a question to leave me. Well, know? like you jumped right to what I was going to say. I often ask guests,
0: as, you know, go back and talk to your earlier, younger self at the, you know, sort of earlier in your career, and what would you say to yourself. But in this case, let's tailor it to what would you tell your your brand new entrepreneur self. So not all the way back, but back to that beginning, you know, seven eight years ago anything you would say there, you know, like, Oh, you know what? I'm I, I know from what you've already shared. And I know from talking to you, you're, you're glad you did it and you like what you do. So it's not like you're dissatisfied. or wish you hadn't done it, but maybe there's something you're like, Oh, here's one thing I would have done or done differently. You know, is there anything
1: like that? That's a tough one. So I am where I am and I'm very happy. So it's hard to go back and say, would I have done something differently because yeah. it would have changed where I am today. And in that sense, no, there's nothing I would have done differently, But using hindsight, understanding the difference in stability between business ownership and being a corporate W-2 employee and fully at your core understanding what that actually means. And it makes sense. People are like, well, I want a paycheck. And it, there's that part. But you know, as an entrepreneur, you can go five months without any income at all. So you have zero, to think it, zero income. Like yeah. we recently had a, uh, a little bit of an issue with the project we were working on where the, the contractor, we were subcontractor, and we staffed up. We were doing the work. It was design project. Everything was going great. We're getting the thumbs up, the heads nodding, customers happy. The prime is everybody's tickled happy. But it turned out that behind the scenes there were some, some contract issues within the prime organization, and it was holding up our payments. So we yeah. went six months of two people working full time with zero cash coming in. And right. it was everything, I mean, we were days away from getting litigious about it. Being like, listen, I'm telling you now, I am two days away from filing papers. I need to know what's going on and how to do this. And these, those kind of instability things, on the front, they're saying everything looks great. And it was, the product design was, was what they wanted. Everyone was happy, but there was a weird set aside money issue going on against the contract where they were not meeting the requirements that they said that they would. And they were getting pressure from the owner saying, you're sending money to a subcontractor that doesn't meet the criteria that is needed. So you can't use them anymore. And they never told us that and they just stopped paying us. And we're like, exactly. So it's, you know, so that instability and that unknowingness, I think it's impossible to be prepared for it. But I think if somebody's looking to jump, Know that you are going to come across wild and crazy things so far out of your control. The only yeah. thing you can do is just react and and hope hope for the best. You know, you yeah. kind of hold your breath and jump in and hope you don't drown.
0: Touch something else. Um, I've been blessed as well by having a spouse with an orientation positive towards this type of risk. You know, you you had somebody said, "Go do it. Get, you know, go do your thing." I think um, if someone's contemplating doing this, it's well worth both parties, if you are in a both-party configuration, both parties having you know, some real conversations and sort of a plan uh, ver- versus only the entrepreneur uh, sort of growing whatever understanding they can before they launch, it, it behooves you to, you know I think, anybody to have, have the, the combined unit on board.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and I understand different relationships will have different dynamics, but my wife and I are very much an us. We're not a her and me kind of deal. And I think One of the tremendous things that helped me and mitigate that baseline risk is she was working full time in a stable W-2 job with health insurance and all of those things. So I could go out flapping in the wind. And if I failed, you know, we weren't losing our house. We weren't losing all of these kind of things. Yeah, our life savings would have been down the toilet. But we came into that with her being that anchor, that rock holding the string to me is the kite flying yeah. around up in the, the, the wind kind of deal. So, yeah. you know, I think I, you're, you're spot on though. I think that's a very, very important thing to make sure everyone involved understands what you're getting into and, you know, where those stop points might be if it does not succeed. Because let's be real, yeah. most don't succeed. So you need to know when to pull out.
0: Sage advice as well. That is true. Is talking about what are our what are our lines in the sand? There could be different lines. There could be what we mm-hmm. do at this line and what we do at that line. It doesn't have to be binary. Like at this line we give up, but lines and say what are those thresholds, whatever you want to call them, where we have a different discussion. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's also very very good advice. You know, in, in time is you know many experiences and and, and people's stories. Uh, my, not not just my own, but, but entrepreneurs I've given you know advice to. You know that plays out as something that's worth worth sort of thinking through. What are these sequence of events? It's interesting, though, about risk, and I think this would have applied to you in spades based on the experience you had up until that date. I had somebody who was going to join one of my um, startups one year, and they were um, extremely uh, well-compensated, gifted technology person in Silicon Valley. And he said, you know, well, what if the thing doesn't you know, succeed? And I said, well, didn't you tell me when we had lunch last week that you're like, you're always being, you've got five job offers at any given time all the time. So isn't your risk the length of time you would be without a job? And he was like, yeah, I guess that's true. It wouldn't be very long. I'm like, ah, one way to look at it, you wouldn't be sitting around for a year with no income. You're really good at what you do. You'd be, you'd be somewhere else, you know, the next day. He's like, that's true. Yeah,
1: so, yeah.
0: Okay, we'll talk about, I think, you know, talk about some of the kind of stuff. I know building controls, building systems, medical devices, you know, you're, you're not just in one kind of system, but you do have some areas where you've carved out, I guess, you know, expertise. You know, how, how did that all play out? I mean, what was the first stuff? And what's the combination of things today?
1: So it's going to tie back to that, you know, building on my career and building on my experiences and taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves. So it really is HVAC systems, like a building automation systems kind of deal. Because I had so much training and so much experience in that, it was a natural and easy way to step into The cybersecurity of them. Because I wasn't trying to learn what a building automation system was while also trying to figure out cybersecurity. You know, this has come up with me in the, the past before of would you rather take an IT professional or an IT security professional and teach them the engineering discipline? Or would you rather take an engineer and teach them the security stuff? Yeah. If you would have asked me five years ago or even three years ago, I might have said. It either doesn't matter or kind of 50, half of one, six dozen, the other kind of deal. Today, though, I really think you want to start with an engineer and teach them the security stuff. You know, I think what that is, because you need that core base of operational knowledge, and then you need to put the security on top of it. Now, I could easily see the counter argument of, well, what if what I'm working in is cybersecurity for building control systems? Like very, very specific, like on the product side, like working with Honeywell or Johnson Controls or someone, then I think bringing the security to it might be easier. But by and large, I think most people are probably better off being an engineer and then learning the security side.
0: Yeah, I have been been part of that question on panels, or, you know, it's come up in a lot of RCSA events. So 10 years of that very question. And I would say, you know, the truth is people come from multiple backgrounds, right? We have a bunch of jobs not filled, so we'll take people where we can get them but the preponderance of evidence is similar to what you said. Hiring managers on average in operational technology environments would say, I think, you know, or some of them are quite passionate about it. I'd rather have somebody that fundamentally understands the operating environment we're in and then added cybersecurity to that versus, you know, versus the other way around. There clearly are some people that broke out of, uh, of IT and IT cybersecurity and uh, learned through various projects and stuff, learned about operating technology and are, and, and you know, are meaningful or even leaders in the industry today. But the preponderance of evidence is probably the origin story is is coming from the operational technology background.
1: Yeah, I agree. So that, that's really how I got to where I am. I was that engineer learning that operational environment. And then I found with that natural, just, I like computers and working with stuff like that. They just kind of came together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think if anybody's listening, don't be daunted. Whatever your background is, we are short tons of people. So go fill the gap. We'll go fill the knowledge gap. If you're strong in one area and not in the other, start adding to the other. You know, there's no end in sight of needing people. So.
1: Well, and as you know, engineers, we love, love standing on our soapbox and talking about how smart we think we are. So there will will be, and I mean that not, I mean, I said it facetiously, but I mean it seriously in the sense that, you will be able to find a mentor if you come in and you can be open and honest about what you know and what you don't know. And you are, you know, you go and say, "Hey, ma'am, sir, whoever, I don't I fully understand this. Or can you help me with this?" I can honestly say, in all of my years, two people, one person maybe, would have told you to go pound sand. Every single other person would be like, "Oh, now's not, maybe the worst I think I've ever gotten is now's not a great time. But do you want to go get lunch tomorrow?" or this afternoon, let's get a coffee, or can you come back later? That's the closest to rejection that I think I've ever seen when you're entering a new space. Because I had a lot of that, you know, Mike Chipley, Tom Abraham, folks such as yourself, I didn't know what a VLAN was. I remember distinctly, like one of my first things sitting in Justin Searle's class, the term VLAN came up and Tom Abraham was next to me and I was like, Tom, what the hell is a VLAN? He's like, oh my God, Mike. So, and then he went down the whole thing and explained what a VLAN is, and now, I try to remember that when I'm talking to folks, because some of the stuff we do can be real nuanced and specific, and remembering that everyone isn't going to know what I think is commonplace. A lot of people don't know what a VLAN is, so remembering to use smaller words, talk through, look for that confused look kind of deal, and say, you know, when you say something people don't get it, be like, oh, VLAN, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of like, think of a telephone cable hanging from the wire where you have one big fat wire and a whole lot of little wires inside of it. The VLAN is all the little wires, you have know, one physical cable kind of deal. And or use whatever you want to do. So, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, well, I think you touched
0: on another, you know, that comes up. It's amazing. It's probably come up in almost every one of our episodes, which is that just ask. And this community is quite uh, responsive right. uh, to that. And, and so I think uh, anybody who's hesitant to ask, you'll be surprised to ask. And, and don't think of someone out of reach. Like, oh, I couldn't ask so-and-so. You'll be surprised. How many people at all all levels will, you know, will respond in one one way or another. So I'm glad you brought that up. You mentioned mentorship. What role has that played giving or receiving uh, in your career path?
1: Uh, It's been foundational. I mean, earlier in my career, I was a mentee and would just absorb as much information. Anyone that would be willing to explain something, even if I'm not helping them or do like helping them move it forward, just being like, hey, can I just watch what you're doing? you know, shoulder surf and just see how people do things can teach you so much. And then, you know, once I started the company, people would come and say, Hey, how did you do this? What was your thoughts here? And, you know, kind of helping out there. I'm trying to move or not trying to, but into the more of the mentor role now, but I still have, I'm still a mentee to many, many people, especially in the operations of business, you know, that compared back to the, you know, entrepreneurial side of it. I suck at bank stuff. Anything to do with banks? Like, I know finance, but I don't understand banks. Like, I went to get a loan, and I show up, and we had uh, what I thought were decent finances, because I'm an idiot, and I'm doing it with QuickBooks and using my experience from the larger firms with the different metrics and stuff. Yeah. And I go, and I give it to the bank and say, hey, I like money. And the company was healthy, and the contracts were coming. And they looked at me like, we're not getting your negative cash flow. I'm like, what is that? And they're like, that means you're <laughs> spending more money than you are bringing in. I'm like, well, of course I am. They're like, well, we can't, we're going to loan you more money. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you? Like, isn't that what Amazon did? Like, isn't that the whole idea is you spend a little bit more than you're actually making so that you have limited tax exposure as well as growing as quickly or as as much as you want. And they're like, and it's just the banker's face. Like he knew what I was saying, but I could tell he was going through his head, trying to figure out how to not insult me, being condescending, being like, I can't give you a loan. You numbskull, like, no. And I, it, was, it was so, you know, from a mentor perspective, finding somebody that knows that kind of stuff and joining, like, I'm a, I was a part of a group called Vistage. You know, it's like a CEO group. Yeah, so yeah, that I was, that yeah. yeah, it's a great group. Anyone that, I, I, lo- I absolutely loved it because you could come, it was an organization that you would come to and say, I have a problem. And you would go and pick that problem apart. And then there's people in the room that that's all they do. You know, we had a guy and I've learned so much from him around banking because he was that was his job was to work and interface with bankers. So it's a very nuanced thing. And I think my mentee at this point is probably getting very specific around certain subjects, but yeah. it's still here and it's never going to go away. And I love it. And I'm, now that I'm later, I'm not super late in my career, but as I'm getting later, I want to give this knowledge to others because the happiness that having my own company has brought me. Like, I'm super happy today. And it's, it's kind of weird to say, but like, I love every single day of what I, no, that's not true. 362 <laughs> days a year, I cannot wait to do what I'm doing. It's not the work I'm doing. It's not the people I'm doing it with. It's nothing specific. It's just the whole thing is exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. And I know there's other people that are in a job that don't, they, they want to start their own company because they're unhappy working in corporate space, which is a place I was in. Yeah. And just as much information as I can give them from my perspective, you know, I'm one person. You got to talk to many, many, many people get all the different perspectives, cherry pick all the bits out that you like, and then move, go forth and be merry with it. So yeah, mentoring is I think really, really important. And like you had said, you know, I don't think I've ever told anyone. I told one guy, no, but because he was a, just an insufferable, horrible person that won. Well, they wanted the mentorship for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And they yeah. were, they were generally an insufferable person. I, and I I declined to, to be a full-time, I mean, I still had coffee with them, still went out to drinks a couple of times, but I kind of tried to keep it arm's distance. But other than that, that'd be the only one.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I think I'm glad we talked about that. That's a program where, you know, that's an area, I think, of significant importance. And I liked that you talked about the nuancing of people get in their head, especially senior people, mentorship. I don't need a mentor. Okay, what about, knowledge or in a particular area, it'd be great to talk to a person who knows more about just that. So it's not like I need a mentor, but I might need to access somebody who knows a whole lot about. In any example, you 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 said was sort of you know finance related. I think we all can continue at any stage to access knowledge, expertise in various things that someone has more of than me and then also be giving that same. So it's an upstream downstream kind of thing. I'm most content when I'm in the middle of that stream, both giving and receiving all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's always something that somebody knows more than me, even though I might not be now in a formal mentor. We meet once a week, you know, kind of thing that some corporations roll out. I think the, ter- the term has some stigma being connected with another resource in, you know, in a specific area. I, you know, there's just I think there's a call for that all throughout someone's development. You know, all through, as long as someone's actively trying to build something, there's more to know.
1: Oh, absolutely. And if you don't do that, you're you're just going to stack. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how dedicated you are. It is impossible for one human brain to know enough about enough things to be globally effective. I mean, just this morning, I texted a colleague of mine being like, hey, because we have to do a, a fire rated paint, a TAA compliant fire rated paint for an IT rack. Are you kidding me? You can't Google that. I mean, how many people have looked for a TAA compliant fire rated paint? For an IT, for a 15U IT rat. Yeah. So I texted a buddy of mine I know I'm, who does data center type stuff. And w- with that, and he's like, oh, dude, that's specific. But he was able to point me in the right direction. And yeah. I almost consider, that's kind of mentoring. Um, yeah. You know, I, I needed that information. It's not just a one-way street. I get texts yeah. all the time from people asking little questions like that. Sometimes yeah. they're very, very, very specific. And other times it's more like, hey, how much of a bank loan should I get? And I'm like, don't ask me, I'm the wrong person for that. As I discussed earlier.
0: Yeah, well, uh, so as we're wrapping up, Michael, what you know, just, anything exciting you about the future? Anything you looking ahead, short term meeting term, or, or far out that you're like excited
1: about? I'm really looking forward to the unknown. I, I don't really know how to explain it well, but like just thinking back to like 1980, I know, granted, I was minus two years old in 1980, but we'll, we'll say in the 80s, what technology, and I'll focus on technology with it, what we had then, and then in the 90s, in the 2000s, 2000, 2010, and today, and how much it has changed. You know, my grandma told me this story. She's like, how, how wonderful her life was because she was born in an area pre, or not my grandma, was my great grandmother, pre cars. So she was like horse and buggy. And then when she passed away, airplanes existed. So she saw in her life all the way from horse-drawn carriages to steam to internal combustion to shit flying in the air. And it's like, that's what I'm really looking forward to. And I don't don't have any preconceived notions of where it needs to go. I just, I can't wait to see what that next thing is going to be. And I hope it's something exciting and big, like an airplane. I hope it's not something super nuanced, like, well, like, Consciousness transference. I think that would be something super cool to be like to be able to take your brain and your personality and plop it out of your the physical being that we are and be able to put that into something else, be it a, a matrix like metaverse, whatever I, I don't know, whatever. I, I, I think that something like that. Oh, that'd be so sweet. I hope I live long enough to see you, and maybe even participate in something so crazy like that. Uh,
0: awesome, awesome. I love it. Uh, well, Michael, uh, this has been great. I just wrapping up with Michael Schroeder, uh, founder and director of OT and FRCS and ICS security at 3T or 3 Territory Solutions. So thank you very much. If you're ready for it, I, I like to end the show with the Pivot questionnaire. I've borrowed this from a show called Inside the Actor Studio that may still be running, but it ran for many, many decades with uh, James Lipton uh, as the host. And he would add, end all of his interviews with famous actors and actresses He would end with the same 10 questions that he brought from a French show uh, before that. So it's decades of use. It's the exact same 10 questions. And uh, if you're up for it, we'll end our show with the same uh, with the Pavot questionnaire. Let's do it. All right. What is your favorite word? Diabolical. What is your least favorite word? Moist. What turns you on either creatively, spiritually or emotionally?
1: The first moment that you crack a really difficult problem. What turns you off? Bigotry and people that approach life with deliberate ignorance. You know, people that just don't, that they know that they're being offensive or they're saying something, but then they're really not doing it on purpose, but they kind of, I, I, I want those people to get run over by a car. Sorry, that was a little aggressive. I apologize.
0: What is your favorite curse word?
1: I can't say that. I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, stay, I'll stay away from that one because it's, it's pretty offensive. I think it's funny. I'll, I'll say this. It ties, it's a regularly spoken word in like Irish and English cultures, but not here. What sound or noise do you love? Oh, a well-tuned large, like big block V8. It doesn't have to be a big block V8, but a well-tuned, deep, throaty exhaust note. Uh, Just rolling down under heavy throttle application. Oh, oh, I love that. Love that sound. (laughs) What sound or
0: noise do you hate?
1: Well, obviously, if I love that, the the car that goes rolling down, that sounds like a a poorly tuned weed whacker with a bunch of tin cans in the trunk. That kills me.
0: What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Do I have to get paid? Well, I guess I have not a lot of follow-ups. I'd love to be a racing car driver. I do an amateur, like I'm in amateur space, but I'd love to be able to like do it and to get paid to do it. And what profession would you not like to do? Anything
0: tedious. And last, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Holy shit. God damn it.
0: All right. I'm wrapping with Michael Schroeder, founder and Director of OT at Three Territory Solutions. Michael, it's been a severe pleasure. Uh, I, I've I've enjoyed this, and, and I've always learned something new, even if I've known somebody for a while. It never fails, so this is this has been fun. Um, thanks, uh,
1: thanks Mark. so much. Yeah, sorry, my apologies.
0: No, no. I thank for everything that you do for for the community, and for and and for specifically for our community, but also the community at large. And um, yeah, appreciate your your investment of time and energy.
1: Well, of course and thank you for having me it's always fun you know chatting and getting to pontificate a little bit and some things like that so really do appreciate you inviting me and uh being able to chat
0: all right well take care uh um, i'll talk to you see mike all right thanks a lot